Get Cody's trade alerts and all of his latest positions on the Trading with Cody app for iPhone and Android and on tradingwithcody.com. Welcome, folks. Welcome, welcome. Alexa, play Tom Petty on Sirius XM. Give us some background music. Alexa, volume up. Let's go to Market Watch and see what they're freaking out about today, too. Alexa, stop. We're scheduled for, say, 45 minutes on this thing, but I'm always willing to stay longer unless I go horse um, or unless I turn into a horse. Because <laughs> um, a horse is a horse, of course, of course, unless the horse – never mind. <laughs> um, please put your phones on mute until you do chime in. And um, – Let's get over here to Market Watch, like I said, and just look at what they're going to say the headlines of the day are regarding the stock market. And I'll do a little brief overview, tying it that into our Federal Reserve stuff. Please put your phones on mute if you don't mind. Somebody out there is not on mute. There you go. Oh, maybe. Thank you. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's do this then. Let's at least get started. I'm sure once I start talking, we'll get three more times. The hey, stop me if you've heard this before. The stock markets are near or at all-time highs, and the Federal Reserve is talking about raising rates slowly but surely. But um, they've been saying that for three years, haven't they? One of the things that I didn't detail in that write-up I sent out about the Federal Reserve and why markets go up usually when the Federal Reserve is in a tightening cycle, at least over the last two or three decades that has been the case, um, is the, the fact that in addition to just straight-out raising rates, Quantitative easing um, and the unwinding of the Federal Reserve balance sheet that they took on about four, the Federal Reserve took on four and a half trillion dollars of um, mortgages and more importantly, I think, the, I mean, both are important. It's all a scam that the U.S. government, that a entity that's not actually part of the U.S. government, the Federal Reserve, is using trillions of dollars of taxpayer money to do anything. But regardless of that lack of agency um, the issue that the Federal Reserve has inherently, um, and the $4.5 trillion, the point is about $3 trillion of it, less than $3 trillion of it, is, more, is treasuries. United States debt, which means the Federal Reserve is using taxpayer money 
to buy debt from the Treasury, sort of lending the taxpayer money with the taxpayer's money. And by the way, the Federal Reserve has made a lot of money by buying Treasuries and the other thing I'm about to talk about. And then that money gets sent, the profits get sent to the Treasury, which then gets to help fund the budget. So if you think we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, you would be correct. We all always had done that with the Federal Reserve regardless, but the fact is in the quantitative the quantitative easing and the quote-unquote emergency measures and all of those scams, I'm sorry, policies that the government, that the Federal Reserve created uh, in the midst of the financial crisis in 2008 is it, it, it's trillions of dollars, four and a half trillions of dollars. It's meaningful. It's an entirely new way of basically creating negative interest rate type scenarios in our country, even if we didn't, quote-unquote, have actually negative interest rates. But it's keeping rates lower because the taxpayers buy in the treasuries, but the treasuries are funding the government, and all that stuff gets completely muddled. What I'm trying to get to is there's $1.7 trillion of mortgage-backed securities that the Federal Reserve bought in the midst of the QE programs. They are probably making a lot of money on those right now. They've been able to send a lot of profits, as I've said, off of that balance sheet investments that they've got in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities to the treasury. So we know they're making money on it, which is just lucky. I even heard Janet Yellen this morning say they don't want to make profits. They're supposedly doing what's just trying to do what's good for the broader economy. Always remember that the Federal Reserve is 100% owned by the largest banks that it bailed out and that it continues to give trillions of dollars of welfare in these emergency measures and under Dodd-Frank and all of that BS regulation that, they, that exists but was written by the banks themselves to begin with. Always remember that. The... the the, they're a tool to keep create profits for the banks, not for the treasury. And she said as much today. Um, but that $1.7 trillion, $1,700 million, what is it, 300 million people, a little more than 300 million people in this country, I'll take one point Alexa, what is one point seven trillion divided by three hundred million? Hmm, I don't know that one. <laughs> what the hell? One point seven let's see if Google does. One point seven trillion divided by three hundred oh that it was filling it out for me. That's weird. Google's listening. Even if Alexa can't get it right. That is, you could have written a check to every man, woman, child, and everything in between in this country who is a citizen, at least. And you could have written them a check for $5,600 for the amount of mortgage-backed securities that the Federal Reserve bought from the too-big-to-fail banks. 
And as I talked about back in 2009 and 2010, when I was doing this stuff on TV every day and railing against these bailouts and these emergency measure welfare programs for these shysters at the banks who were lying about their balance sheets. I, I don't be, I don't fault any a banker making money, but when you were in the midst of a crisis and your, what you said your balance sheet was was not true, when you didn't actually take care of your shareholders and your depositors, and then the taxpayer had to come bail you out, and then we actually end up taking care of you and writing checks for $1.7 trillion to take these worthless assets that you, as an executive, were approving that your bank was putting on its balance sheets back in 2008 and 2009. The Federal Reserve took all that stuff, and it was basically probably worthless. And the Federal Reserve paid way too much for all of the stuff they put on these on their balance sheet with that $1.7 trillion. But in a great irony, I mean, that that God just has a sense of humor, I guess. He still allowed the Federal Reserve to look like a genius and make tons of money, billions of dollars of profits, because, as you guys know, the real estate market did come back, which, by the way, as long-time trading with Cody subscribers know, I told everybody, buy real estate, 2010, 2011. I did so myself in 2012, I think. I bought a bunch of land here in New Mexico. Um, so the Federal Reserve has made a bunch of money despite it, the fact that it was basically screwing taxpayers and give, taking these worthless mortgage-backed securities from the banks at 100 cents on the dollar when they probably could have been taken on, on it. 30 cents on the dollar. Anyway, that is the point of all of that is really the fact that there's trillions of dollars, more more than $4 trillion of balance sheet debt that the Federal Reserve has taken on. Um, and whether they raise rates or not, they are not going to be taking on additional debt, which is what I've talked about since 2012 being a form of tightening which is, again, bullish, typically in the last 20 years, stocks go up when the Fed's tightening. And so if they're not – if they were growing their balance sheet and they stopped growing their balance sheet, that's a that's a change. That's called tightening. Now if they reverse and start reducing their balance sheet, which they are going to do, even if they just quit buying more stuff, the balance sheet, those treasuries that come due will fall off the balance sheet. Some of those mortgage-backed securities will pay themselves out early and stuff, and that stuff will fall off the balance sheet. But the vast majority of that money is whatever. However, they unwind the balance sheet, they are unwinding it. They're not. They're no longer adding to it. They're no longer just sitting tight. They are about to start and the, or actively reducing the balance sheet. That's another form of tightening. And so we are living through those this seemingly early stages still of a tightening phase. Whether they're the news headlines today from the Federal Reserve on Market Watch are about and CNBC are about Janet Yellen and what she says, quote, not many more rate hikes needed, whatever. That that's still a tightening phase because the Fed's unwinding their balance sheet. We're still in the early stages of this. The Fed's probably eventually going to really have to scramble to contain the bubbles 
maybe, you know, the Dow will be at 25,000. Maybe the NASDAQ will be at 8,000 before the Fed actually gets active, raising rates and not just reducing their balance sheet and budging interest rates from a half percent to one percent and all this other stuff that they're barely doing on the fringes right now. Eventually, though, again, as we get later in the Federal Reserve tightening cycle, we'll want to get bearish. We'll want to not necessarily sell everything, but we'll want to do some more hedging. We'll want to take some more profits, reduce some of our positions probably, the number of positions perhaps a little more, um, add some more shorts. None of this stuff is, You know, you, you can't go back and look at any historical chart or any specific time frame over the last 20 years or even the Just half an hour. You're always going to have to sort of... Okay. Uh, please put your phone on mute if you don't mind okay. out there. Um, you're always going to have to do some independent thinking and some free thinking and, and know that, hey, yes, we're four years in, five years into the Federal Reserve in a tightening phase already. Just hasn't been an aggressive tightening phase. It's still very much a loose policy world. And as it gets tighter and becomes less loose in the world itself, you know, we're going to have another crisis at some point. We're going to have a crash at some point. Maybe not this year. Maybe next. Maybe in three or five years is what you better guess, as I've been saying for the last five or six years. Just don't think it's that near yet. Got to keep our eyes on the black swan as always, folks. I think I rambled on a little bit there. Um, open to questions. I've got a bunch of emailed questions. You guys, please jump in right now as I'm pulling up the emailed or the chat questions. Um, or I'm hitting this one first. First question here in the chat room. Taking a page from your contrarian playbook, Cody, what do you think of retail stocks during this market cycle? Many names have been beat up, and I can't imagine no one will shop in person any longer. Yeah, somebody's going to shop in person, even if it's, well, Grandma doesn't even shop in person anymore either, because who wants to take Grandma to the mall? I am looking at Macy's. They are profitable, as of last earnings at least and have a book of real estate that they can monetize, have a growing online business. I know Amazon is out there, but can they, can they really wipe everyone out? Also, with department stores closing, competition is getting a bit easier for the stores that will last. Thoughts? 100% agree with you. Hey, you guys, by the way, if you're not talking, please put your phones on mute. I 100% agree with you on this question. I mentioned maybe a month ago that I thought the – panic over the retail and mall sector was getting extreme and that it was probably time to look at buying malls and or retail that other the, whose name is not Amazon. Obviously, guys, as you know, I am a huge Amazon long. I am a huge Amazon bull. I am not about to sell my Amazon. I think that thing can go to – I think with – with Amazon Alexa being a new operating system that's changing how we're the world, how billions of people interface with their heaters, refrigerators, kitchen desktops, 
smartphones, watches, projector screens, buy Amazon anytime you can. If it goes down, buy more. I don't think I'm ever selling another share of Amazon for the next five years. It should be our my largest position, I think. If it would come down 15, 20%, man, I would load up and it would... I think it's what my second, third, maybe largest position right now. I would make it my largest. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think retail itself might not be a good trade maybe for a year or two here, maybe even longer term. problem with Macy's, as I recall, and I didn't look at its balance sheet as I'm answering this question, and let me go ahead and just check. Uh, in balance sheets. Um, I think they've got too much debt for my liking is really the biggest problem with it. There we go. Come on, Internet. Yeah. You guys know I'm whenever I talk, get on these calls, my Internet never wants to work for me. Let's see. Balance sheet. They've got Macy's has 1.3 billion in cash and cash equivalents. Say five to ten billion in real estate, probably inventory five billion bucks. But anyway, what I'm trying to get down here is the debt, long-term debt, seven billion dollars. Oh, my God. I mean, I know you've got a lot of real estate to back that debt, but no thanks. No thanks. That's the problem with most of mall-related companies. They took a bunch of debt on when the times, when they thought they could, when the Wall Street banks allowed them to borrow billions. Imagine Macy's going right now and trying to borrow $6 billion. It would be pretty expensive. So stay away from Macy's. Look, I mean, I'd rather just buy Amazon than find some cheap retail. I think over the next five years, you win the lottery with finding some incredibly cheap retail play that goes up tenfold. I think you want to just own Amazon. I think it's going up three to fivefold in the next five to ten years. Any questions out there? Shall I hop in here to my next one, not the chat room? Co Cody, I have a question. This is Steve. How are you? Hi, Steve. How I'm doing great. How about you? Super, thanks. Um, it was really interesting to hear you say that you know I that uh, you know if there's some sort of a pullback in uh, Amazon that you would consider making Amazon your best or biggest position, which is kind of interesting to me because, you know, your Apple, I'm sure, has grown to the point where it's outsized just because of growth. And I've seen you trim, you know, uh, you know, a few percent here and a few percent there. But would that mean that uh, you'd also be selling Amazon, uh, you know, a significant would, – would you be pruning one to, to grow the other or letting no, Apple ride while you're – Not necessarily. And, and you got to remember, even like with Facebook – I, I ended up buying call options um, back when it was at 22 or something, you know, like long-dated call options. Um, 
in addition to the common stock. And then as Amazon, you know, I mean, as, as Facebook ran, some of those call options that I didn't sell uh, ended up, you know, just turning into stock too. And so I've had some of, I think Amazon, Facebook was actually my biggest position there for a few months last year until I trimmed it down again um, recently. You know, Google, Facebook, Apple, and uh, getting to be Amazon, I, those positions are all pretty big for me, and they've all grown a bunch over the years. But I've added call options here and there on some of the names, even after, you know, they've been big positions for me. And then sometimes they end up being bigger, and then you'll see me trim them down. And so but Apple is not a terribly overweight position for me. I, I think I've explained that to most of these some of you guys who have also had huge gains in apples over the years, that it's you don't want it to end up being 15 or 20% of your portfolio or something, which is what it would be if I had not continually trimmed it over the last 15 years. And remember, too, that when I was at Fox, I basically sold everything I had, and I didn't have a whole bunch of shares of Apple or anything like that. Um, so um, it, even if I had kept every share I had in 2002, I probably would have trimmed enough that it wouldn't be terribly outsized, the Apple position. Uh wouldn't be terribly outsized for me. But um, no, I just think I wouldn't, I, I've raised a lot of cash in the last year, as you know, and I've got cash I'd like to put to work in Amazon. I just wish it'd come down a little bit. I just, I don't want to and maybe I'm wrong. I, I probably need to just buy a little more right now even. I trimmed it, I think, at these levels a few months ago, and that was dumb in retrospect. I just think you can't stop the Alexa juggernaut. Alexa, how many units did you sell yesterday? I don't know how to answer that. I don't know that one. Stop it. Uh, can't think of a good way to ask it. She's smart, but not that smart. Other questions? Did I ask? Her, did I answer your question? Uh, you did, uh, and, and and actually that was a really good answer because you know gave gave some insight into, as, as to some of the balancing on the big positions that you have, which is always a really important question, I think for for me for sure. Well, and let me just push back on that and why I don't think that should be too important to you. Because all of our risk tolerance is different. Our income levels are different. Our upward trajectory is different. If if you have $100,000 in the stock market right now and you're about to get a raise in your job from 150 to 350,000 bucks, you can be a little more aggressive than the guy who's going to make 150 again next year. If you've got $10 million in the stock market and you just sort of work for fun, you know, same thing. It's a different risk tolerance. You need to have some real estate assets and things. And it doesn't matter what my personal allocation nuances are. You want to know the best companies that we should be investing in, and you want to balance your portfolio according to your risk profile. And you guys probably should have some oil stocks or some mutual funds or some savings or some, you know, other ETFs or things like that, you know, I, you guys don't own real estate. 
acres and acres of new beautiful land in the outskirts of Ruidoso. You know, maybe some of you do, frankly, but the, most of you people listening have an entirely different portfolio than I do. You have an entirely different family structure. Here's another example, guys, that you've seen in real time over the last two years as Ameris was born. Even after, you know, for my first 15, 20 years in New York City, my first, I'm sorry, my first 15 years out of college in New York City, my first couple of years here in New Mexico, I was single, no children, working my butt off 80 to 100 hours a week most of the time, having a blast, buying great suits and going to great dinners because I truly felt like no matter what I spent money on doing stuff like that in New York, it was networking. It was an investment in my future. And I just, I rented, I spent up to $4,000 a month in rent on a Soho apartment in a, an artist loft for a year just when I first got my TV show. And it didn't, I, I, I wasn't trying to invest in real estate. I had no interest in investing in real estate and having to be accountable or, you know, responsible for the, the, plumbing and the rats, even in an apartment like that, by the way, you'd see rats and mice in New York City, can't get away from them. And the, I guess you've seen then I end up getting married. And now I have to balance my wife's risk tolerance with my own. And I'm not out there buying expensive suits to go to meetings and flying Italy to meet with somebody and hopefully raise money or whatever that type of stuff I was doing in 2006. And then I end up having a girl, a first girl, and now I've got a daughter. And now I'm thinking, hey, I, you know, I own land here. I need to build a really nice house. And I make good money and my life is set. I just need to take care of this family. And it's great. And then I have another daughter and she's medically fragile and the bills go through the roof. No matter how much coverage we have, I bought an RV, made it medically equipped for my daughter. I had to add uh, onto my house medically equipped rooms. And my, my risk tolerance certainly has changed. I still am very aggressive in technology, as you guys know. I'm not, you know, buying GE or looking for what people conceive to be safe, high dividend stocks or something. It's not like you've seen me change that entirely. But my risk tolerance has changed over the last five years. And what was an outsized position for me five years ago in a stock is not necessarily relevant to me even five years later and I'm the same guy so that my point being it really you just you want to get my stock picks you might want to try to base some of your weightings based on hey Cody's really being aggressive in this stock right now or these are his five largest positions and he's not selling them and I'm going to make some of these smaller cap stocks less big because they are more volatile and a bigger risk than some of our bigger ones have been. Facebook at 25, I was willing to make my biggest position when you accounted for call options. 
course, I didn't have a medically fragile daughter back then either. So that you get my point that your risk tolerance changes, and it should be different than mine anyway. And so take the guidance I give you, but don't try to replicate my portfolio or my approach to my investments entirely because it's not the right approach for you. It's not the right approach for anybody but me. I give you great ideas and give you pathways. And we try to navigate these markets, and we've done a great job on that. all of that. But just, you know, it just really, it's, you should be different than what I my portfolio is. If you're 25 and you want to buy 15% of your stock in my three smallest cap, highest beta, biggest potential, highest returns, maybe, hey, Go for it. That's not that might be okay for you. But it's probably not for me, especially right now with a medically fragile daughter. Answer the question, boy, I'm rambling today. Did I you, lose you? You did answer the question. Okay. No, no, you did answer the question. I, I, I you know, you make that really clear about our, our, our personal tolerances and where we are in life and so on and so forth but uh it is very helpful I, I i i've been talking about a little bit on the board in you know a couple of months ago about how i need to you know maybe reduce one and and and, and maybe increase the other so uh it'll be very interesting to you know well and i think watch where we are and for as far as as far as amazon and trying to get a little bit more exposure to that stock you know and and and, and and thereby, your question was great. Even if I did sort of repeat myself on some of that stuff, which I'm, I know I did, um, the, the, I, I know I, the nuances of what, you know, you did get some insights I know out of uh, that I didn't provide before by explaining that. And so I hope you did anyway, and I, I, I appreciate the question. Even if I did end up repeating myself, as, as you know. I don't think that's something you can repeat too much. Very important. Well, that's great. Here's something else you can never repeat too much. Don't overtrade. Don't overtrade, everybody. Next question. Or if you got another one, go ahead. Um, one word question. BlackBerry. Just an update on it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it, clearly the 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 near term thought on BlackBerry, you know, was you, you don't normally make um, uh, earnings trades or earnings buys. Uh, we did this time, and uh, there was That's, and it underscored why I normally don't. <laughs> sure, uh, but that said, I'm. You know, what's the plan with BlackBerry? Do you plan to just sort of sit tight for a while? We have some options, and I think I don't remember if they're August or September. I think they were September. Yeah, I, I'll tell you. Uh, I, calls. I, I expect we're going to lose money on the options at this point. They, they were an earnings play. I think I gave myself at least one more earnings report, um, and maybe we'll end up getting lucky. Maybe the company gets bought before they expire or something like that. I am just going to let them ride. Um, you know, as you guys know, I, when I do buy options, I never 
go crazy on it anyway, especially on something like that one, which was a near-termish kind of play. Um, I did buy common stock, and I do expect to make money on that over the next two to five years. My plan is over the next six to nine months to hopefully see those guys catch traction in their car business and or their IoT business. Um, the the it, and or get bought. I mean, that's really, I just sort of think Apple, if Apple wants to get into the brains of cars, it, as you guys know, I've long said, they're not going to make their own Apple car anytime soon for years at least. But they do want to be the brains. They want to be a platform for cars. And why wouldn't Apple buy BlackBerry? I mean, it, it cost them one, you know, three months worth of cash flow. Um, or less even. I don't even know. I'm doing that off the top of my head. Let's Apple do $10 billion a quarter in earnings. And what's the market cap here of uh, BlackBerry as we talk? Five bill. So, <laughs> yeah. So six weeks of cash flow, of operating income is equivalent to this market cap, you give them a 30% premium and you're paying 10 weeks of operating income from Apple for the entire shebang, and then you own the car, then, then you're in every car business on the planet, you know, every, every, not every, but Ford, GN, I don't know, Ford, although I can't remember all the ones that use BlackBerry's Q&X technology, but it's most of them. It's tens of millions of cars. Every, so that. That just seems no-brainer to me, but as you know, I don't want to buy a stock hoping someone buys the company or something. There needs to be some fundamental turn there. So over the next six months, over the next two to three quarters, I want to see some traction. And the risk is that they don't get traction. The risk is that they get squeezed, that they end up losing the car business entirely. Um, and that IoT doesn't go anywhere, and et cetera, et cetera. And then the stock will be at eight or seven, and that's our downside risk. And the upside potential is if they do get bought, it'll be for probably 15 to 20 bucks or something if it's anytime soon. And if they don't get bought, then – and they do – if they don't get bought but they do end up catching traction in cars and IoT and getting growth, you know, we'll, we'll hold it. We'll see how it rolls. But it could be a $20, $30, $40 stock eventually if, it, if they really turn this thing around. Thanks, Cody. Thank you. Um, okay, guys, let's see. I'm trying to find any other questions. Um, it's a lot of brain power to stay on uh, for a living on TV. Guess my brain's out of shape, or at least my what do you call this? My pontificating lie is out of shape. 
we get any emails here? I'm looking for them. Um, I guess not, guys. Let's see if there's any left in the chat room. QWC chat. What about Snap at 15 bucks, Cody? Is it still too risky to invest into this company at this time? Do you think they're ever going to be profitable, even with Facebook copying their products? You know, I'll tell you, I I think one of those classic things I look back and I just, I was wrong about, in my mind, I just didn't, I saw so many kids using Snapchat 60 days ago, two or three months ago, and I saw Facebook with its Instagram, especially trying to copy Snapchat, and it just seemed like silly that Instagram was doing that, and that I just didn't believe there was any way that you would be able to successfully somehow take that momentum away from Snapchat, but I'll tell you, in the last 60, 90 days, I get the impression that Instagram truly has taken the momentum out of Snapchat. Um, you guys know I do this I am app company for a living too, and we make apps for celebrities and download the uh, let's see what do we download the fifty cent, the I am fifty cent app, for example, that just hit uh last week or a couple weeks ago. Um we have 150 apps for celebrities in the store at this point. And the reason I bring it up is because 60 days ago, most of those celebrities actively wanted their Snapchat. We got requests. We want Snapchat. I'm on Snapchat. They were all over the Snapchat. They wanted Snapchat integrated into their own app when we built it, build each one. And I don't know that I've heard that in the last month. I just, even with that, that's anecdotal, but every kid I see is using Instagram, not Snapchat right now, and not as much at least. So I looked at that snap today and I thought, you know what, if I hadn't already bought some call options and lost money on that, on a trade, probably wouldn't be a bad to throw a little bit here right now, but I'm got once bitten, uh, twice shy. Um that being said, feed the fire. I'd rather buy Snap at 15-ish than sell it at 15-ish. Um, yeah, I'm probably not going to do it myself right now. Maybe at 14 I might buy some more call options or give it a shot. But um, the, the risk is that their quarter is a disaster. What if they don't have – what if they have a Twitter 2% growth? What if they have a negative growth in users? Um that the stock would just you know, be at 25, 30%. Amazon's prime day revenue, as Steve just let us know here in the chat room, it wasn't a question, but he posted a link to an article from CNBC that prime day revenue was up 60% over last year. And I read this morning that uh, prime they added more Prime users today than they had ever done in any other day in Prime's history. 
Prime already at, what, $80 million, we think, in the U.S. They don't release the numbers themselves, but that's the ballpark that I've seen recently. Um, and that 50, that the average Prime member spent 50% more this year than they did last year. So that makes, you do the math, and yeah, Prime Day revenues up 60% over last year. Sounds about right. Uh, no numbers on this either, but the Echo Dot was by far the most popular product sold on Amazon Prime Day. Um, I will tell you guys, I have bought two Amazon Alexa shows for myself. One for, well, I guess one for my wife at home slash me. I bought one for my office. I'm going to get another one for my other office. I got, I sent one to two of the team members at the IMF because we're going to work on enabling skill sets for our quote unquote IM apps. Maybe they're going to have to be called IM skills now. Um, the idea though is that, uh, the, what my point is that, uh, and then my wife actually went and got, bought one for her office. Uh, she's an attorney and her company, uh, got one for, her and I, I don't know if they got two, uh, but that's at least four or five Amazon Alexa shows that I personally bought in the last two weeks since they released them. And while they're still not perfect, I mean, the Echo, here's the, I guess here's the point. Echo Dot is great, but it doesn't have a screen. You just talk to it. But what's so amazing is that Amazon slash Jeff Bezos did this classic Steve Jobs Apple thing from years ago when Apple would create products that nobody even knew they wanted. And that's what Alexa is, man. It just, you just didn't know you wanted that interface until it was there. I did see Steve Wozniak. I, I gave a speech uh, introducing Steve Wozniak at the Apple Investment Summit probably five years ago in Los Angeles, I think it was. And um, we Steve talked for 30, 45 minutes. He was the keynote, obviously. <laughs> Cody Willard, Steve Wozniak. <laughs> anyway, um, I introduced him, which was an honor, I guess is my point. And he did this great speech. He spoke for 30, 45 minutes. And one of the things he talked about was as revolutionary as the iPhone was, and it was a device that took you – Steve Jobs took us where he just didn't even know you wanted to go yet. Um, as revolutionary as it was, he wanted to be able to – and he pulled out his his iPhone 4 at the time, maybe iPhone 5 at the time, and pulled it out. And he goes, I want to be able to talk to it and go, Siri, open – actually, I don't even think Siri existed at the point. But he goes, I want to talk to my phone and go, iPhone, open up the movie from last night that I was watching. And everybody was like, oh, that would be so cool. That was five years ago. Apple didn't get us there. Steve Wozniak doesn't work at Apple anymore. But if he did, he would have gotten us Apple there first. Bezos took us there. And now I'm telling you guys, whether you know it or not, you want Amazon Dot, Alexa Dot, you want Alexa Show, you want anything Alexa-related because the interface is getting better all the time. It's already establishing itself as the de facto standard for this. Am I – are my guys, is the IMF developing for Apple or Google? 
Well, yes, we make apps for their old smartphones and tablets, right? But I'm, we're getting ahead of the train. We're going to develop for Alexa. And guess what? We're not the only ones. Just last week, as I wrote about, Alexa allowed us to do this. Alexa, play Channel 18 from Sirius XM. The Eagles Channel from Cody's Sirius XM. Alexa, show me Beatles videos on YouTube. Here's what I found from YouTube. Alexa, play number one. And now I'm watching Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on a screen. Oh, sorry, it was Strawberries Fields Forever. Couldn't see it from back here. My question, one of the thoughts I'm having, I'll wrap up with this today, guys, with Strawberry Fields in the background, is, is Alexa... App, is the Alexa app on my iPhone going to get to the point where I'm going to be able to talk to it and bypass Siri? And if I could talk about disruptive, perhaps killer app, would be for me to be able to go, Alexa, open the IM Neil Patrick Harris app. And she's not going to know how to do that yet. But if I could say that to my smartphone, to my iPhone, and the Alexa app hears it and opens up the skill inside of the Alexa app just like it does on my Echo Show screen, is the app revolution dead? It's the skill revolution. That's what Alexa calls it. It allows you to enable skills. You don't have to download an app to the Alexa. You just turn on the skill, and you start listening to SiriusXM. You start watching YouTube. You start jamming out to the Beatles. Oh, come on. The song ended as I got up. Oh, it's going to the next one. Beautiful. Oh, they're on top of the building there in New York City playing. And with that, people, I do my best not to let you down. Wise words from Johnny. Johnny boy. Peace, love, and happiness. Thanks for being a member of Trading with Cody. Talk to you soon.